Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. In this week's sermon, Pastor Jonathan Eilert explores our call to discipleship, to following Jesus in our lives. And he teases out the difference between costly grace and cheap grace. I hope that it speaks to your life and that you have a great day. Grace, peace, and joy be unto you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. I'm looking forward to attending Pastor Kim's ordination in a couple of weeks. It's great. She finally got all of her call details worked out, and she's now on her way to new adventures in Montana. While she was with us, Pastor Kim led the Wednesday morning Bible study, and it was great for her to have that opportunity, but now that she's gone, it comes back to Pastor Lauren and me to lead that study, and I usually end up leading it, but for a couple weeks I was traveling, and so I hadn't been, and I got back this week, and we were jockeying for who was going to lead the the Bible study this week, and I told the group there's so much fun that we fight about who's going to be able to lead this study with you. In the study, we've been going through 1st and 2nd Kings and reading the bloody history of the split of the two kingdoms of Judah and Israel after David and Solomon. And in the disarray of the leadership, you eventually have the prophet Elijah appearing and then Elisha being called as his disciple, which is the story we have for today in our Old Testament lesson. Elijah calls Elisha, and Elisha slaughters his oxen on the spot. He's essentially burning the proverbial bridge behind him. There is no turning back in his discipleship. And this is the story, then, that's alluded to in our gospel with Jesus drawing upon the faithfulness of Elisha to make a point about the sacrificial nature of discipleship. And it is this allusion to Elisha in the call story that makes it pretty clear that there's another allusion to another part of the Elijah and Elisha story that Jesus is drawing upon when he rebukes the offer of the disciples to bring down fire upon the Samaritans that were disrespecting Jesus. So Elijah brings down fire upon some of the army folks, and you remember the story of Elisha that Pastor Kim preached on in her last sermon about the, the she-bears that killed the young people that were threatening and disrespecting him. So it's kind of interesting that Jesus is putting both a positive and a negative example from the life of Elijah into this story. Yes, it's about unflinching, sacrificial following, but for Jesus, central to the sacrifice is the way of peace and the way of grace for the world. The whole story is potentially filled with illusions and metaphors that can be difficult for us to pick up upon in our modern reading. Another one that I came across some years ago suggests suggested by a biblical scholar that's taught me a lot about the Old Testament over the years, whose name is Harry Went. He begins with clues from the original Greek that indicate political overtones to the man's proposition about following Jesus, and the man is seeking to follow the would-be king of the Hebrew people 
in Jesus, and starting with this premise then, Wendt believes that the use of foxes and birds of the air here have a deeper metaphorical meaning as well. He points to Herod Antipas, who was the ruler in that region who was known as the fox. In fact, Jesus even refers to him as such in another part of, the, of the Luke's Gospel. And birds of the air were used at that time as a metaphor for the Gentile nations that surrounded them. So another pastor summarizes this interpretation by saying, thus the gist of Jesus' curt reply might well be everyone is at home in Israel's land except for the true Israel. The true Israelites have long been disenfranchised by other people in their own land, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And Jesus declares that it will be no different for the Son of Man who will be without a place to stay. So this man comes wanting to follow the up-and-coming king to be in Jesus, but Jesus says, hold your horses, you really ought to know what you're getting yourself into here. I'm not a king that will ever live in a castle. I'm a king that will be abandoned and hung on a cross. So again, the pastor that I was reading sums up the interpretation with these words. Jesus responds to this man with words that challenge his motives and ours as well. If we want power in this world, then it's better to align ourselves with the foxes and the birds of our culture and not with the Son of Man, for his kingdom is not of this world, but is far more worthy of our discipleship. As I read this interpretation once again, there's a particular way that I always seem to want to take this text, but it was interesting because as I reflected upon it yesterday morning after, quite frankly, I'd already written a sermon that took a particular angle on this, I realized, in fact, that there are two important messages that we need to hear here. And being at a funeral yesterday and seeing the grief of that family it was actually the other angle that I found myself being drawn to, and so I went home and rewrote part of my sermon after the funeral yesterday. The first sermon is about our response to the grace of God. It's about the costly discipleship of following Jesus in his way of the cross. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer lifts up when he distinguishes between costly and cheap grace. Bonhoeffer wrote, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Christ Jesus living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all of his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes his, him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciples leave their nets and follow him. This is the first sermon where I usually go with this text, but... Then come Bonhoeffer's words about the cost of this grace to God and why it's worth following the way of Jesus and God's way of sacrifice in the world. 
He says such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it cost a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the one true life. It's costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Sometimes we need that first sermon of challenge to risk the cost of following in a way that calls for the entirety of our being, but sometimes we need the comfort of the wholeness of this sacrifice for us. I heard it so clearly yesterday in the second lesson in our funeral and Paul's words to the Romans told through the the message version of Scripture. Paul writes, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, Not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. This is that second message that we need to hear. We need to hear this word of comfort, the word of grace received from God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. What a gift those words were to a family that was grieving and then Dennis, the father, was able to articulate how your sacrificial, unflinching love for him and for Joan as the body of Christ here at Prince of Peace have been the embodiment of Christ's love in the midst of their grief over these last weeks. Costly grace, given, received, transforming the pain of our tragedies and losses bit by bit from despair to hope. Through the loss, we begin to see love emerge as the more powerful force. Noah, who died, his grandfather was my professor in seminary, and he talked often about the messiness of our human relationships, 
but he always pointed to the grace of God that washes over this messiness with the mercy, peace, and love of God. There was a cost to the grace of God in the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is a cost to us when following and loving service ourselves, but there is also so much grace to be received to comfort us, to restore us, to transform our dyings into living through the love of God that knows no end. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.